welcome back to the Dark Rhino Security Podcast. In today's episode, Chief Sales Strategy Officer Manoj Tandon will be interviewing Stefan Ludlow, Director of Technologies at wealth management firm Serity Partners. Today, we are fortunate enough to be joined by Stefan Ludlow, a gentleman that I have known for quite a bit of time, and he's been gracious enough to join us on today's podcast. Stefan, welcome. How are you? Thank you very much. I'm doing quite well. It's a chilly day here in New York City. Well, I'm actually in Pittsburgh today, our studio where we are uh, casting this in Dublin. I can tell you we had snow in both locations. As long as you're not getting snow and not having to clear off your car, you're doing better than we are. (laughs) Oh, here's that. So one of the things, Stefan, in this whole world of cybersecurity, we always talk about this concept that people have to take responsibility. There's an element of personal responsibility. And um, I think it's going to be kind of nice to get some of your views, especially given your background. You can give us a little bit about some of the things you've done in the cybersecurity world and just introduce yourself to our listeners who may not know you right now. Sure, absolutely. So I'm uh, the Director of Technology at Serity Partners. We're a wealth management firm in New York City and across the nation. And my role is specifically responsible for the technology stack that advisors who are part of our, 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 our group can go out and work with their clients in a secure and safe fashion. A lot of my work is involved with securing our systems, making sure that our client information is kept safe. And that's been kind of my main priority through my career in wealth management services. So prior to that, I was director of technology at GM Advisory Group. And then I was at Dynasty Financial Partners prior to that. And in each role, a large part of the responsibility has been working with the firm to make sure that our client information is safe and secure. And so I've got a lot of experience seeing what data is out there, not only within firms like us in our systems, but with firms that we work with, the Fidelity Pershing Schwabs of the world, the banking services out there. So in the financial services space, I've worked for some time keeping an eye on that data and making sure that everything is where it should be and it isn't where it shouldn't be. You know, Stefan, the financial industry has been the leader in cybersecurity in the non-defense, non-government space, if you will. And the data that you are protecting is obviously highly, highly sensitive. And, And we know that in the financial sector, you folks put a great deal of thought and effort into the cybersecurity and cyber well-being of your organizations and the partners that you do business with. But what about your clients? Do they have the same vision of cybersecurity? Are they aware? Or do they believe that really cybersecurity means having McAfee or semantic antivirus and and I'm done? Well, it tremendously varies. Um, We work in the ultra-high network space. So our clients do definitely range from folks who have been executives at companies where cybersecurity has been very, very much forward-facing. And in those instances, everyone is is perfectly aware and keeps an eye on these things. I've seen presentations done for clients where that is one of their major concerns is cybersecurity. Are their assets safe? Is their information safe? But that's definitely not universal. We deal with 
a demographic that has not always had to personally worry about their keeping their information safe. But I think the landscape is changing and has changed. People who didn't previously maybe interact with technology on a day-to-day basis are every single day literally carrying around a device with all of their personal information on it, their cell phones. Even if they're not tech forward in what they do on a day in and day out basis, everyone now, uh, regardless if you're ultra high net worth, if you're just someone doing your job, you're interacting with and using technology and putting your information in technology constantly. So we do see experience varies, but we try and approach cybersecurity from kind of that lowest common denominator. It's not especially onerous to, to make yourself secure, but it does take some cognizance that not everybody has. So, and you know, uh, and that leads to this, uh, an, an observation here is that in your experience, do you see folks looking at cybersecurity as a technology problem or as a problem that is more personal in nature and dependent upon their own actions as much as it is just on the technology? Is there any cognizance of personal responsibility in addressing this issue? In speaking with people who have been victims of a cybersecurity breach, it's almost universal that there is an element of that personal responsibility. If anyone listening to this has either been compromised on their end or um, have had their parents compromised or someone they know, they know it's not easy to recover from. And it is an intimately personal and challenging thing to recover from being a victim of a cybersecurity breach or from identity theft. So once you've been breached, you understand very much that there's a huge element of personal responsibility there. For people who haven't yet been breached, though, there can often be a different mindset. Because unless you've been breached, unless you um, have emails going out from your own personal inbox to all your friends and family uh, asking them to click a malicious link, or unless you've seen some sort of financial loss, you're not thinking about cybersecurity on a day-in and day-out basis. It's not uh, everyone's area of personal expertise. So as you're using Facebook, as you're logging into different things, it's a technology issue for, for people who have not yet been a victim of it. They are trusting vendors like Facebook, Google, and others to keep their information safe. And while that is one way to approach it, it's also a very good way to become a victim yourself. So that element of personal responsibility, I want to encourage people to take under their belt before a breach happens and make yourself safe and have that element, have some share in securing your own self beforehand. We uh, often in our own firm preach that before you get to a discussion on technological controls uh, with prevention, detection, and response, you really need to look at you know, your policies, your procedures, and in a company that applies, but at an individual level, that's completely akin to personal responsibility. On the corporate level, we've got checklists and sign-offs and cybersecurity policies and a depth of expertise. And anything we put data into has to go through a fine-grained process until we're confident in using it. And that should be the same on the personal side. 
And, you know, for those of our listeners who, who may not be aware, there was a staggering statistic that I had read that, you know, for high net worth individuals who are worth more than $5 million, that they have a 90% probability of getting hit with a $75,000 loss by the year 2020. That's not insignificant. And I guess that's a risk that you one should not ignore because 75 grand is just probably the monetary loss. There's the loss to reputation and all the other losses that go along with a potential identity theft. No, I, I absolutely agree with that. And it is, I mean, the vulnerability that's out there right now, if you're a high net worth individual, is everyone is targeting you. If you look at who is the ideal person to breach, it is a high net worth individual or ultra high net worth individual. Your name is out there. Your family's names are out there. Um, and oftentimes it's, a, it's, it's an open environment of who is wealthy, who could be vulnerable. So those types of individuals are oftentimes hit with what we call phishing attacks, something that um, you'll get an email. It'll look like it's from either a friend or family, or it'll look like a service that you use. I've seen them look like, hey, you have a FedEx package. Click here to see the tracking link, or click here to make sure that Facebook is linked to Instagram. There's all sorts of different ways, and they're very, very sophisticated. But if your name is out there, you are absolutely a target. And that's why the statistic for those high net worth individuals is almost 90% is you're getting hit constantly and only takes one slip up to cause a problem. Now, for those individuals, there's folks who work with them like myself and Therity Partners who have processes and procedures in place to prevent an asset loss if that individual is breached. For example, in the case of wire transfers, it's absolutely critical for there to be a playback to the individual who is, is having that wire transfer done, you have requested these funds and confirming not just via single factor, via email, say, but also getting like a verbal confirmation. And so if you are fortunate enough to be a client of yours at Serity Partners, then you get the benefit of having that extra set of eyes. But if you are the regular person like myself out there, what should I be doing? Because phishing is something I, I've seen those emails even come into my Gmail inbox and it's, you know, click on this and you'll win something or someone has attacked your Facebook page, change your password. and It was completely bogus. Right. No, absolutely. And, and you don't need to be a high net worth individual to protect yourself. You don't need to always go out and hire someone to, to provide that service for you. But if you can afford it, definitely do. It's, it's, it's not everyone's core area of expertise, but there are things that everyone should be doing. Enabling two-factor authentication is one of the easiest ways to prevent breaches. And I'll, I'll reiterate that two-factor authentication is, let's say I log into my bank from a computer that okay. I've not logged in previously it's going to text me a code to my phone number, which is a second factor. So I have to, if someone were to breach my account, they would not only have to have my login information to my bank, but they would also have to have my phone or access to my phone text messages to breach my account. 
And you can do that with Facebook. You can do that with Google. You can do that with Instagram. And it's that philosophy. Do what you do with your most secure information, with all your information, which is absolutely critical. And there's a few other things you can do as well that I'm sure we'll get into, um, such as using a password manager and things to protect things like your credit and financial information in case of a breach. Uh, you know, uh, you bring up passwords. I, I was recently at a security conference in Washington, D.C., and they actually had an interview there with three ex-hackers. And they, from looking from their point of view, they cited the number one method that they'd like to use to compromise an individual's accounts was passwords. Because once they figured out one, nobody changes them across all the systems that they access and they keep the same password. Yeah, absolutely. In addition to that two-factor authentication um, on everyone's, um, everyone's account, it's also important to, at least in my mind, and this is, there are debates in cybersecurity spaces. I mean, there's uh, the NIST guidelines and there's others. Um, should you have a super complex password? Should you have a password that's easy to remember but hard for a computer to guess? And so none of this guidance is, is universal, which is, makes some of this complicated. When you go see an article on MSNBC or you see an article on CNN or Wired.com, there may be conflicting advice because there are conflicting views out there. But that said, at least in my personal opinion, my, my professional experience, I like to treat passwords as one-time use, one password per application. In addition to two-factor authentication, you can use something called a password manager. That's LastPass, one login. Uh, there's a handful of others. Chrome has it to a certain extent by default. Apple has it on their iPhones where it can generate passwords. There's a number of these. I personally like yep. LastPass. Um, but where you can, you're not coming up with a password yourself for the applications that you access, but are rather generating a single password per application. And as you say, hackers love the password that is from one application to another application to another application. Is If they get access to one, they don't need access to your email to get access to other things. They'll just start going and logging into chase.com, bankone.com, facebook.com with that email and password combination that they found for something else and hope yep. they get lucky. And oftentimes they do. A huge number of times they do. You know, in fact, um, one of the pushbacks that I've gotten on using a password manager is that then I have to have it available to me always. So if I'm on my computer, it's relatively easy to do. But if on my if I am on my mobile device, it challenges me too much. It's a it's a pain. I actually had one gentleman from U.S. Cyber Command that was on the other side of that debate. And this was a discussion I was having with him and in regards to exactly this LastPass uh, or password manager topic. And he said, we would almost be better off having for our Facebook page, ABC1234, and then for Gmail, ABC12345, that is a lot more secure than having one super strong password that goes across all of these things and because once that gets hacked or somebody, they may not even hack the actual password. They might just get the hash. And once mm -hmm. they have that, 
it doesn't matter what the strength of the password was. You know, it's it's open season. Whereas if you even changed it a little bit across systems, you would be a lot more secure. That was an alternate point of view from somebody in our defense forces, and I thought it was kind of interesting because it does contradict what some of the other advice. No, been absolutely, there. and there is no one perfect solution to cybersecurity. And that is why I think it is such a shared responsibility. Going back to that original point, it's not something you can set and forget it. It is something that you have to be cognizant of. The rules of the road, so to speak, don't really exist. There are guidelines, and they change over time. There's something that people need to be mindful of. What was best practice in 2010 is not best practice now, for example. It used to be that exact philosophy, have one super secure password for everything. But what they find, people don't remember it. They write it down. They make it hard to guess for a person, but easy to guess for a computer. A random string of, of lowercase letters and numbers is not the most difficult thing in the world. You're absolutely right. In fact, there was a paper that was presented last year at the Columbus B-Sides on how to do password attacks, and it was absolutely remarkable at the level of sophistication and technology that's available to hackers by which they can guess strings mm. and get lucky a significant percentage of the time. Absolutely, and it's almost to the point now where it's not a question of if you'll be hacked. It's going to happen one of your accounts somewhere will be compromised. And it's how we have structured our um, digital lives, which is really the difference between someone who, when one of their accounts gets compromised, their entire identity is stolen, versus someone where one of their accounts is breached, but because of things like two-factor authentication, because of different passwords across different applications, that that breach is very, very limited in scope. So speaking of, you know, continuing down this path, Stefan, of, of these breaches, you know, you talked about phishing being one avenue, and it seems to be a very popular avenue of people getting compromised. But what what about some other techniques, if you have any comments on, you know, connecting to open networks in your hotel room or at the airport or uh, to networks unknown to you that are open, basically, out there. I mean, those all represent uh, threat vectors, if you will. Absolutely. And one of, the, one of the most important things that I think companies like Google are doing are raising awareness of access in unsecure environments. I'm thinking particularly of like HTTPS encryption when you're accessing a website and how Google in particular, if you're accessing a site that doesn't have HTTPS, will actually warn you about it. And that's one of the nice things is, is oftentimes in this environment is, as technology gets more robust, the cybersecurity layer becomes more complex, but it is nice that some folks out there are doing more to protect us. And that goes to exactly what you're saying, accessing, say, your bank from this, at least in my case, the subway platform in New York City on a wireless network that I haven't the faintest clue of if it's secured properly, if it's done right. But 
there's things like that that I think have improved over recent years to make access like that a little more secure. So if you had asked me that question probably three years ago, I'd say, oh my goodness, don't log into anything when you are on public Wi-Fi. But I do think that's changed over the last couple of years in particular with HTTPS. Now, I'm sure there would be people that disagree with me on that, uh, particularly in the cybersecurity front. But I do think things have improved. Stefan, what are your thoughts on at an individual level, whether you're a high network individual or or not, to employ a VPN service at all times when you're connecting at least for critical applications like maybe your banking or uh, to your retirement accounts or to your health records? Any advice on that? I think that VPNs in particular can be a component of uh, a high-quality digital hygiene policy, so to speak. I do think, though, that oftentimes the complexity, the number of vendors out there has created a market where it's a little difficult for the end consumer to go out and find a VPN and actually be secure using it. That said, if you can take the time to do the research and understand how a VPN works and find a good vendor, it's absolutely something that should be part of your suite. But if it's not part of that cybersecurity suite that you have personally, I don't think that it's quite reached the, the level of recommendation of something that use a password manager. Now that said, for the corporate side and folks in that those corporate environments, particularly like on our end or others, a VPN when accessing information remotely is absolutely essential. Um, but we have the resources to put those in place effectively. I would just argue that I'm not sure that everyone has those resources yet. We'll see what happens in a couple of years. Uh, three, four years ago, password managers weren't as prominent as they were today. We may see the same on the VPN front. What about you know folks who don't update their system? So if you don't update your iPhone mm -hmm. or your Android phone or your computer to keep it patched, what are your thoughts on that as an avenue of attack for the average person or the high network individual for that matter? That is one of the great vulnerabilities. And I will give credit where credit is due, uh, oftentimes people get angry, for example, about um, how Apple supports their different versions of phones over the years. But we have seen as, as those older phones have versioned out and they drop support, Apple has perhaps not uh, graciously and charitably dropped support of those older versions. And there's a reason they're doing those older devices aren't able to run the modern software that we're, we're looking for, not able to run the modern software that's as secure as what we're looking for. And the same thing is not done if you have an old Windows XP machine at home. Nothing on that machine will shut down. It may run slower, but it is not going to lock you out. And certainly among the clients that I've worked with historically, you can certainly see older devices as an access point, as a vulnerability. Windows XP, for example, is no longer patched. So a hack gets exposed and you've not updated your machine while everyone else in the world, well, so to speak, has moved on and gone patched and is invulnerable to that. There are folks out there who are pinging all sorts of devices looking for that open vulnerability, that signature that they can say, oh, 
I have an access in. So I completely agree with you that older devices are definitely an open vulnerability and people should absolutely be cognizant of keeping their devices and hardware patched and updated. And to that end, the second point there, if you are a high net worth individual or you have the resources to have someone handle your IT, I really encourage you to do it. Um, we're not all IT experts, and oftentimes I hear, oh, my son set up my computer, or oh, my nephew, he's really good with this stuff, he set this up. And that's absolutely not a replacement for a professional to come in and secure a network and secure computers and then maintain that on a going forward basis and keep that information secure. To me, it seems like that's, uh, it's a good insurance policy for an individual. If you don't know much about cyber, you don't have the time to deal with it, and or you really do have some things that are very critical and important to you, you really should leverage a professional. And there's your advice is very, very sound in that regard. I just often hear a lot of pushback. People are like, well, you know, I get uh, my cable provider gives me uh, antivirus for free or I can download uh, some shareware or freeware. And why do I want to pay for it? I, I don't believe that people understand that those technologies, while good, only close the door on a small set of threat vectors that are available for attack to anyone that is really going after you. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. And I would add, I mean, it, it's not quite fair that it's people with means who can be more secure because they can outsource that. And if you're not in that position, you do have to take some more time to really think about how best to handle cybersecurity, I really encourage people be cognizant um, of what you can do and don't put yourself at risk. But again, there are simple things that every single person can do no matter what, which is two-factor authentication, use a password manager. I mean, those two simple things can protect against many, many, many of the threats, not all of them, um, but many of them that are out there right now. And for everyone out there, you know, I, I believe you talked about it earlier as well, uh, is that in addition to two-factor authentication, we should be careful and be cognizant of the links that we click on because mm -hmm. Phishing is the number one avenue of attack. Now, what is your advice on phishing? Because some of these spoofs have gotten very, very sophisticated. Honestly, it's, it's why I say it's not a question of if you'll be hacked. It's a question of when. Because the quality of these things has gotten incredible. Uh, and you have to be somewhat sophisticated to know what to look for. So that said, I mean, there are... Um, advanced threat protection on Microsoft that can help out. And there's certain services uh, that you can attach to your mail. But if you're using Gmail, for example, you're really depending on Gmail's algorithms to, to detect some of this stuff, and a lot gets through. So again, it's absolutely critical in the case of phishing to have a different password across different accounts. 
at least in, in my professional opinion, because when you click on something, oftentimes it's not going to be to download a malicious package onto your computer, but that certainly is a, a vector of attack that is used. Oftentimes it pops up a login page that's spoofing a Microsoft.com or a, a, a Gmail.com or a Verizon.net login page and asking you to put your credentials in. And then it, you never know that you've even been breached. It's not like a big pop-up comes up and says, oh, we got you. You'll That's right. Be going, yeah, yeah. You'll be going through your day and all of a sudden you see a small asset transfer out of one of your bank accounts. Or suddenly you see emails going out the door that you've never sent. So I do encourage people, make sure you have two-factor authentication on those accounts and a unique password by using that password manager is you might not even know that you've clicked something malicious. The attacks have gotten so sophisticated. Yeah, it used to be where uh, if you were even uh, somewhat cognizant, you could look in the URL mm-hmm. and you could see, well, what the heck is this? You know, it's, it's instead of google.com, it's going to google.oi or some other place. And mm-hmm. unless you were, you were not looking for it, you wouldn't, but if you were looking for it, you could see it. But even the attackers have gotten so sophisticated that even that has changed. It, unless you're really dealing with this on a day-to-day basis, you can get quite readily get caught up in it. Absolutely. And at least on our end and in corporate environments, oftentimes folks are using software that will generate our own phishing attacks internally to test users. And I think that builds a culture a culture of compliance, some might say, a culture of awareness. People outside of the corporate space don't have access to that, unfortunately. But we make it so that if you get something you aren't expecting, you do not click it. You vet, vet it. And that's even extends into my personal life. My my parents, if I send them a link to something, we are we've gotten to the point where they'll text me, hey, did you send me a, a Wall Street Journal article? I'll be like, yes, I did. Um, but there have definitely been a number of cases, even in my own family, where I've been like, no, I didn't send you a OneDrive link. Do not click that. You, do you have any anecdotal examples of some of these cases that have taken place? Oh, absolutely. I mean, my own family went went through this. So, I mean, I've got, got plenty of anecdotal Example that <laughs> my my folks in their their business um, uh, back in Indiana where I'm from, someone at their company clicked the malicious link. It got into my parents' personal email, and they were able to access a number of different applications. And it took weeks of going through every single application because everything shared passwords to correct this and make sure that they were enabling two-factor authentication and adding the credit freezes to everything. But that's on that end. We've seen very sophisticated email-based spoofing is one of the latest things. For example, I've seen uh, historically, not at, at Serity Partners, but someone has actually emailed in requesting for, for asset transfers. And of course, I mean, the back and forth happens and then the the verbal has actually taken place and we've actually gotten phone calls from people posing as individuals that they've hacked their email in to ask for a verbal wire transfer after wow. sending a malicious email in 
And so it's this stuff is getting more and more sophisticated. So it's absolutely critical. Again, two-factor authentication, use a password manager. I'm, I'm sure your, your listeners are ears have heard that a lot, but I really, really think it's important. But that is great advice. And you can't state it enough. I often think that once you think you have stated it too many times, that's <laughs> just when everyone's starting to listen, right? Absolutely. <laughs> like maybe, maybe Stefan has a point. <laughs> if there's nothing else we got out of this podcast, we better use a password manager. <laughs> Absolutely. And it has gotten so easy now to do that. I mean, people sometimes complain, oh my goodness, this technology is getting, getting out of hand. But if you look back, at 2011, 2012, this stuff didn't exist to protect us. So these people, the technology was newer. People were really getting into to email and all that stuff, but there wasn't a layer of protection around our digital lives. So one of the exciting things is that the consumer side of identity protection applications, such as a LastPass or OneLogin or what have you, are becoming more ubiquitous and people on the street now know about them in a way that they didn't previously. You're, you're absolutely correct. Now, I, I will add one other piece of advice to your two-factor authentication and getting a password manager, and that is don't let your children use your mobile devices or devices that you transact with. I have personally, I have a four-year-old who has clicked on links on my wife's phone that in one instance, we had no choice but to completely, essentially reformat that device in its entirety and then go and change all her banking passwords because whatever link he clicked on did a hostile takeover it, it rooted the phone in some way yeah and attacks like that while we talk about um, password-based attacks hardware-based attacks are absolutely still out there uh, and people do encounter them there's those kind of software-based attacks where you click a link and it does download something and that family member is almost one of the most open avenues for attack Let's say I'm in one of the cases that I've encountered, you'll have an executive who okay. he is protected by the bubble of his corporate IT, um, even outside sure. of the office. They understand how important this stuff is. So they extend their protection over him. And maybe they, they extend protection over his wife. But are they doing the same for his children? No. And so you've got on a highly secured internal network, that corporate IT folks are, are on and securing a young man with an iPhone clicking on random links off of Facebook. So one of the things I really encourage people to do as part of looking at their personal cybersecurity is even if you're really good with this stuff, make sure that your, your spouse, your children, your parents, anyone who's in, within your household is also cognizant of these things. Make sure that your kids' social media accounts are secured and locked down. One of the things that we found was Venmo. Absolutely love okay. Venmo on my end. I use it all the time. We use it all the time, yeah. But if you go, I bet if your readers opened up Venmo right now and they looked, what can you see of other people passing transactions back to 
forth? What are people paying for? I could open mine right now and I can see a, a good friend of mine who, who collects rent or he's paying rent, who he's paying that to and receiving that from. Or you might see, oh, thank you for the wonderful vacation or out at tapas uh, at a restaurant. And for someone who's looking for this stuff, if we're talking about threat vectors that are not just username and password based, if you've got information like that in the clear, people know physically where you are and what you're doing. And that is another avenue of attack, that physical, someone could break in and actually steal a device if they know that you're not present somewhere. We've seen, uh, there's been several cases in the news where folks have posted on their Facebook page, they're going on vacation and lo and behold, they get back from vacation, they find out they've been burglarized. Yeah. In the case of that corporate executive whose IT was so secure, all around um, him, I imagine if his son is saying, oh, I'm going on a great vacation with the folks, we'll be out of the country for two weeks, exactly that is a prime opportunity. And then that bypasses all the work that we're doing if someone gets physical access to a device. Now, Stefan, so far we've really talked about a lot of the personal actions that people can do. But some of your data can get leaked by third parties as you know we saw with Target, uh, as we have seen with some of the credit agencies that have been breached, some banks that have been breached. These big data breaches, how should folks be dealing with them? What is your thoughts around those? So I, I really encourage that level of personal responsibility and securing yourself, not just because you yourself could be a victim of a phishing attack, but also because at no fault of your own, someone could be breached. Adobe got breached in 2013. I was in that breach um, and I had to get myself remediated from that. Um, there's basically kind of two cases that can happen. A third party breach occurs and some personal information. That's bad. What's worse is when full passwords and usernames get, get leaked out and there are services that you can use to, you can plug your email in and you can see um, what has been breached. Uh, I think I have been pawned or have I been pawned and uh, Mozilla has a, a product as well that's similar. But in the worst case, the breach occurs. You're sharing passwords between that service and every other service that you use, your Facebook, your bank, um, Flappy Bird on your phone. You don't have two-factor authentication in place. So when those passwords go out in the clear, someone will take those to, to the marketplace and sell them most likely. And someone will purchase those and start going on a spree logging into your stuff at no fault of your own. You've, you have not actively clicked something, but you can still be compromised. And that's what happens in that worst case. And now you're spending weeks going through all your applications because you were not secure. You're changing your passwords. You're updating your email. You're warning friends, hey, don't click on things that I've sent. On the other hand, the best case scenario, the breach still occurs. This is one of the problems with those third-party attacks is that there's not a whole lot you can do about it except 
don't use non-trustworthy services, and it's really difficult for uh, the layman to identify those. So presume right. that your your raw credentials will get breached by some service someday. But that said, the best case scenario is you're using a unique password that's been generated by a password manager for that service. So the worst case is that thing has been compromised. Now, hopefully that thing is your, your email and rather it's something like uh, a minor account, like a, an Adobe PDF reader or something like that. But sure. So that's bad, but it's contained. And you have two-factor authentication. So if that service is breached, and they do get your full username and password. They can try logging in, but you've got a second factor on your phone that's required. So again, the breach is contained. They're not able to directly access that account. So that's kind of in my mind, the, the best case and worst case scenario of those third party breaches, but what can people do to avoid them? Nothing once they've occurred. You just have to protect yourself and make sure that if someone does get that password, that username, that they can't do anything with it. Your containment uh, seems to be a thread that runs throughout this conversation. In fact, uh, all the great advice that you have been giving our listeners, containment is a central feature. So that even if the worst does happen, and, and we acknowledge it is going to happen, it's mm -hmm. not a question of if, it, it is when, you can never have 100% cybersecurity. It doesn't exist. Uh, it really doesn't, yeah. But then you can at least aim to contain your loss mm -hmm. to a minimal, and hopefully, um, you know, in you have enough uh, containment and supplements that can help you out if you do have a real identity theft and you have to undo some things uh, and protect yourself. But containment is key. If you are unable to contain and it spreads across all your accounts, uh, that seems like a nightmare scenario. And it's not far-fetched. I mean, we've anybody can do a Google search, in fact. I would encourage them to do it. Look at cyber attacks on individuals, and you will find how, horror stories from people out there that are in public of what's happened to them. No, absolutely. And it's not pleasant advice, or it's not pleasant feeling when when a cybersecurity professional you ask them oh what what can i do to never get hacked and the answer is almost nothing what you can do is as you say contain it if it does happen and be cognizant that it can happen and understand what can happen and protect yourself against it it's i, I make the analogy it's a little bit like you get insurance when you drive a car is it's not really a question of, Oh, I will never get into a fender bender might not be your fault. Someone may hit you, but you have to be prepared for that. And at least in the, the auto insurance world, it, it's one of those things that's just taken at face value. Oh, of course I get insurance. Why do I get insurance? Well, it'll probably happen at some point. Hopefully it's very minor, but you're prepared for it. And the same should be said on the cybersecurity front. You should be prepared for it, use best practices, and understand how you are protected. That is fantastic advice. Let me ask you, uh, we did not talk about credit monitoring, but you brought it up very briefly. On, on that topic, 
Uh, in addition to you know, using something like a LifeLock or any other credit monitoring service out there, what about just going and checking on your FICA score on a regular basis? Is that of use or how would you suggest? I think that if you were to ask me what is the, I've, I've got my two-factor authentication, I've got my, my, uh, my password manager and that's working really well. What's the third thing I can do? And I would say go out and get either like a LifeLock or a Credit Karma. Or if you don't want to pay for a service, do as you say, go get from the, the credit agencies and you can get a free report, um, your credit and look through it and make sure that there's not accounts open that you're not aware of. Um, because it's something that is not perhaps the most common thing in the world, but is one of the most damaging things to have happen if it does. Um, it can absolutely destroy your credit score and you will have to go to high heaven fighting with the cr credit agencies to get these, these fraudulent accounts expunged. So it's always good to have a constant eye on your credit score and know what's being added, what's being removed, and what's that impacting that score over time. I think that's a little bit like the canary in the coal mine, so to speak, to see if there's been a breach somewhere else. That's very sound advice, Stefan. Now, I know we're coming up here at the end of our time, um, and we didn't uh, explicitly spend a little bit of time on this, but I'd like you to, to plug your company, Serity Partners, um, give all of our listeners a little bit of a view into what you folks do and, and uh, directions to your website, uh, please. Oh, absolutely. I appreciate that. Serity Partners, um, seritypartners.com. We are wealth advisors as well as we provide a number of other services. Uh, we serve high net worth individuals and their families. We serve businesses and their employees, in addition to nonprofit organizations. We provide comprehensive oversight and fiduciary duty, and our fiduciary duties extend well beyond just, just investments. We do like to be a one-stop shop for services for our clients. We do have a bevy of experts, tax professionals, investment advisors, and of course they have me, an expert on, on cybersecurity. So we, we have a depth of expertise. We've got offices in New York, LA, Orange County, um, Chicago, Cleveland, and elsewhere. So we're very pleased to be able to help our clients. Sounds like a, a great company. Is it possible to make an appointment directly with you? Is Can someone... Schedule some time to get your cyber consultation, Stefan. Our clients are, of course, absolutely welcome um, through through their advisors to book time with me. Okay. Uh, that said, I'm, of course, available on LinkedIn and social media. Um, if anyone has any questions or concerns about cybersecurity, um, I'm absolutely happy to engage. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Stefan, for spending a little bit of time on this uh, Friday afternoon, just before the start of the weekend. If all our listeners got nothing else, uh, I would expect everyone should have a password manager and multi-factor authentication turned on. Uh, if they don't, shame on them. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and, and just subtle plugs for my, my, my favorite services on those. Um, while text authentication is absolutely fantastic, 
as, as you said, Google and Microsoft have two-factor authentication apps, which are absolutely excellent. Um, and I personally enjoy LastPass as my tool of choice for for um, for password management. Excellent. And uh, with that, uh, we thank you and appreciate your time. Thank you, as always, for joining us. To stay up to date, hit that subscribe button and visit us at darkrandersecurity.com.